probably the big joke for people even who work in the social media industry is that they struggle with it or that they're not really even using it for themselves because maybe they don't like it anymore. They've seen too much. Um, they're in it too much. And I hear on pitch calls all the time, I hate social media. That's what, that's what the client potential client will say. They'll tell me they hate social media. And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I mean, I get it. <laughs> so, um, but that's not the point. I mean, marketing today is social media and social media today is marketing. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging empowering, and, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. Joining us in the third place today is Gabby Blitz-Rosen. Gabby is the founder and CEO of Townhouse Digital, an editorial house for social media and digital marketing for many large brands. She helms from Beautiful Destinations, where she was the chief digital officer, and Travel and Leisure Magazine, where she was the social media editor. Gabby is also an adjunct professor at Columbia University, where she teaches social media for the publishing industry. In the interview, you'll hear us joke about how social media changes so fast that it's hard to teach. Little did we know that when we recorded this in early summer, Facebook would be in the news and Congress about user safety versus company profits, and with a huge outage earlier this week. Gabby gives us such great insight to social media, how it's used in marketing, and helps us navigate both the good and the bad of this crazy digital world. Gabby, welcome to The Third Place. Gabby, how lucky are we to get to spend more time with you? Thanks for for making the time to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So what's cool about today's chat is that we get to talk about something that you addressed on your Instagram actually recently. You said social media can be both a wonderful, inspiring community and a place of discovery, but it can also be toxic and triggering. And this is like so the third place. It's not this or that. It's both. And being that you got into social media, like what I would consider early on, can you tell us about the early days and how you broke outside of traditional work roles to be an entrepreneur in this space? Yes. So I started off in social media when only MySpace was around. So we were right pretty early. <laughs> pretty early. It was about like 17 years ago. Wow. Um, and I used to manage the MySpace accounts for different musicians and artists and like rock groups. So this was kind of my first foray into community management um, and also owning a voice that wasn't my own because I had to speak on their behalf. So my roles have always involved marketing. Um, and I would say looking back at my career, it's definitely followed the evolution of the screen. So my first internship was also at a record label and I started off in kind of radio and television and that went into my space and I went on to kind of you know the digital screen to the mobile screen and uh, my career has kind of followed that evolution. I've definitely seen it all but I was always at major brands, um, travel and leisure, I ran social media for Kiehl's, skincare, Nestle, 
Um, I've worked at W Magazine, Teen Vogue, and Beautiful Destinations, which was kind of like my startup experience. I was the chief digital officer there. I became an entrepreneur because first it was probably in my blood. My dad was an entrepreneur and I used to go door to door selling artwork as a kid. So I think I was also always an entrepreneur, um, but I had a one-year-old at home. I needed flexibility. Um, and so I, I just jumped in. I've, I've always worked on behalf of a brand and built other people's companies. And this was the first time that I was you know, building my own. It's, it's definitely interesting to think about putting yourself and pretending. It's almost like you have to pretend and embody mm-hmm. someone else. What are your thoughts about that double-edged sword of social media? Like, does it impact the personal and societal self-worth, both positively and negatively? Like, mm-hmm. to engage with social media as a business and as a person, you have to put your best self forward, which mm-hmm. may or may not always be accurate. You know, I've heard from a lot of friends and moms that when they either pregnant or, you know, had children who were younger, um, that seeing other moms on Instagram would actually cause them to feel depressed, right? Because there was this feeling, well, I'm not doing it like she's doing it, or whether it's, you know, always chasing a new product or whatever it is, you don't feel good about the way that you're doing things. And I hear it also from people on my team, right? I can sense it. We talk every day. I can hear it in their voices. And I I tell them, you need to take a step back. You need to take a break, go for a walk, put on an out of office, have my name on there so that you can step away and create a boundary because social media is 24-7. And for anyone who has seen um, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, um, I forced myself to read all the good and the bad. And so nothing was new there for me. It was just all in one condensed documentary. It can be toxic. And with everything that's good out there, you know, social media is the fastest form of distribution. It's the new foot traffic for every business. It turns everyone into a creator, a publisher, an entrepreneur. You can be an entrepreneur from your bedroom, but there's another side of that. So for all, you know, the good, beautiful connections, there's this other side that can be fueled by something toxic or hate or bullying you know, thinking about kids today growing up with social media on their phones is, is a little terrifying because of all the negativity that can come from it. Just it's amplified what we had already, you know, experienced in our lives without social media. So I think you have to really kind of create these boundaries for yourself where you say, okay, I'm only going to spend a certain amount of time or I'm removing my phone from the room or I'm putting it in my calendar that I have to go for a walk, I have to do yoga, or, you know, they're basically self-inflicted boundaries, or just putting them into your calendar so you can't even get away from it. You have to do those things. You have to take a break. And also muting accounts, unfollowing accounts, anywhere that you feel that someone or something is triggering you to not feel like your best self, it should be muted. Mm -hmm. You can always come back. You can always refollow or unmute them. But it's just important for you to continue living your best life to not constantly compare yourselves to others. So being that you provide this service and guidance and strategy to so many businesses, and you know, we've talked about, you know, all businesses need it too. In the last couple of years, I feel like it's been a little bit of a breath of fresh air where I'm noticing that people are putting not just curated content on, right? There's a lot more of that like what you said, showing the maybe in regards to motherhood, showing the the challenging side of motherhood too. Mm-hmm. 
how do you guide the businesses that you work with in following that authentic lead and making sure that it still is authentic and that it's not curated authenticity? I don't mm-hmm. know. You, do you know what I mean? Where it's like yeah. you're you're also overthinking or overproducing the, mm-hmm. the harder, darker sides just to tap into a different audience? It's a lot of education. And basically, depending on the knowledge of the founder that we're working with or the client, the education level can be more or less, but there's always an element of education. And for us, we always point to numbers because it's just more helpful for you know the founder to acknowledge where certain trends are moving. So if we look at TikTok, whether a brand or person is on TikTok or not, it has started a trend of more raw videos, short form content that's not overly produced. We're now seeing this on Instagram. They're competing with Reels. You know, their version of TikTok is Reels. That's what I was just going to say. The, the Reels give you mm-hmm. even another layer of authenticity or, or rawness, you know. Exactly. And we already saw user-generated content that wasn't overly produced, meaning like a professional photographer. We already saw that that was outperforming traditional content on Instagram. And so now with Reels and TikTok, we're seeing the same thing. So it's pointing to that and saying, let's test. Let's see what... Um, performs because the perfectly curated feeds aren't performing as well as they used to. People want to see that, you know, behind the scenes in a more kind of like messy way because they want to connect to the brand. There are a million brands out there today, a million different types of companies to follow. Um, You can be picky. So you want to make sure that the brand aligns with your values and your mission and who you are and makes you feel good. And, And if it's perfect all the time, no one's like that. Right. So you kind of have to show that other side. Yeah, because it does. Otherwise, it does the um, the opposite. I think that, like you said, there's an intention to be an inspiring platform, right? It's going to inspire something, whether it's inspiring a purchase or community or someone to engage with a conversation or an action within themselves. Like it can be very inspiring. Mm-hmm. And then when it feels unattainable, then it it's, does more detriment, right? And so showing that other side is the relatability that I think is is really cool to be witnessing. And um, there's a lot of courage that comes through with that too. Uh, mm-hmm. Another question comes up for me. So what has been the most recent take, especially in this last year on how business owners or people that have, you know, influence um, should approach taking sides or declaring a stance on like a current or systemic issue. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's probably that education piece, but even beyond that, is there, is there a trend there? Is it, is it more important to really draw a line in the sand? I think once upon a time, a brand could just go silent for a day or a couple days or however long. I remember working with Kiehl's um, during the Boston bombings. And it was one of my earliest experiences of what is our reaction? What do we do? When do we continue posting? And what is the stance that Kiehl's is taking or, or not? And we really watched larger brands to kind of follow their lead in terms of what they were doing. Today, things have really evolved. So there, you can always go silent for the day, but we are seeing that, again, like I mentioned, those missions and values, audiences also want to make sure that a brand aligns with their own missions and values. So where do you stand on this issue? And if you're not sure, you know, it's typically best to go silent or if, or if you don't want to say something, but we are seeing as everyone is um, a lot of kind of social media activism in a way 
where people feel compelled to share or take a certain stance, even if they're not as knowledgeable on the subject, and if they're not backing it up with action. So our recommendation to clients is not just to say something, you need to actually back it up with some kind of action because people are smart, they're going to see right through you. So if you're going to put out there a statement or some kind of position, you need to then back it up and take some kind of actionable measure to show that you really do feel this way and that um, it's important to you. So we always give a a few different options, um, but every client is different and we kind of have to walk them through what makes sense for them and their business. And then more than just a statement, how do they actually back it up? Yeah, I remember for us, like, uh, so Latere is a coffee, uh, is a coffee roaster that I own and and have owned for eight years. And I remember just a couple of years ago, the first time that we entered into a political Mm -hmm. uh, comment of the day, uh, around immigration, like our values were so clear about just even in coffee, like we need mm-hmm. Central America mm-hmm. um, and a lot of places where this the caravans were coming to do our coffee really well. We were mm-hmm. invested in Central America. We have relationships with people there mm-hmm. and we could see a perspective and we felt like we tried to honor everyone involved and um, say it was complex, but we had to also we couldn't stay silent because it directly was against how we perceived immigration issues at the time. We're completely against everything that we stood for as a brand. Um, and that was definitely uncomfortable and we mm-hmm. put a lot of thought and energy into it, but it also felt good to get that out there as a brand to make sure that our values were being communicated in a, in a way, um, even though there was risk right. involved. Do you have examples of that? not going well or 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 really well where you saw a brand really model that we're definitely pretty good about i think i think backing it up with action and then also making it very clear that it makes sense it's part of the mission it's part of the values and that's always clearly communicated i have seen on social media a lot of brands like a lot of a lot of different fashion brands as an example who put up the black square last summer, but then in all of their photos, the the models were not diverse going forward. So you put out this statement that it's important to you and your business, but it wasn't backed up with action. And that's what I mean by that. And and you saw the reactions from audiences on that and they're checking in, they're seeing, well, how's it going now? Are you continuing to be the brand that you say you are? And it sounds like one of the things that through this evolution, it is now a requirement to be very clear about what your brand values are. So that way you're prepared. If something happens, you can immediately lean into your values, but also you're leaning into your values the whole time so that, you know, if you take a stand on diversity, then clearly you are working on making sure all your other images are matching the values that you've established. So it sounds like there's some pre-work that has to happen in this transition for a business to, to truly define their values and to live them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm, for sure. And it should be touched on with every department of the business. So we always say, oh, yeah. well, let's make sure that the that press is aware and legal and your and the founders and the investors, et cetera, so that the, the communication and conversation is this 360 experience so that when someone finds you in a different area of your business, it's the same values. It's the same mission and it's being communicated in a similar way. 
So from like the personal standpoint or perspective, I'm thinking about all of those people, mo- the majority of people that have a social platform that they they use, but it doesn't necessarily have influence, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that means that they don't have that many followers. Do you encourage people to use that just as a creative outlet? Like what can social be for those people in its best form? Like what, what's the intention behind that, do you think? And, and why would you encourage or, or not encourage people to have their own their own page or their own way of connecting in mm-hmm. this community? I think if someone has a smaller audience, it, it can be creative. It can be just because they had a beautiful moment and they wanted to share. Um, Instagram is giving you the option now to remove likes from your photos so that it really can just be because you want to share it. Um, It doesn't have to all be driving to a business. That being said, even with a smaller account of less than a thousand followers, those are probably your friends and your family and your colleagues and maybe potential clients, coworkers that you've known for years. So sharing personal and a mixture of kind of what you have going on is still um, representative of, of your brand, even if you want to eventually drive somewhere, you know, people to a certain place, um, or if you're just using it as an outlet for yourself, it can establish, you know, your voice, mm-hmm. um, and also be a source of, you know, as an example, with even with my personal account, and, and I do have a business, of course, but I've started to kind of write these like micro blog moments on my posts. And I did it at first to just even let people get to know me more. Um, even my friends and family who don't even know certain elements of my life in that way. But I found it also to be suddenly therapeutic. And I was getting messages from people, friends in college that I haven't talked to in, you know, a decade saying, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I, you know, these stories are amazing. Or mom friends saying, thank you. Like, I feel like you get it. um, And you're just being honest and real. So people that I haven't talked to in years, I'm connecting with these little moments. And for myself, they felt really good to share and just get it out there and be honest about hardships and also successes. Do you feel like you get more highly judged or um, criticized for the way that you're how you use your personal page being that you are in the industry? I always acknowledge that I have a very small following. I always used to be when I was at Travel and Leisure and Beautiful Destinations, I made my account private because I was getting a lot of people that I didn't know. I'm, I'm a very private person inherently, which is funny just for running social media for a lot of brands. But I actually find that the people who work for me are also very private. They also don't have large followings, but they've all done social media for brands. There's kind of two different people that work on social media for brands. It's either someone who has a large following and definitely pushes that as their own business. And then the people who have you know, less than a 1000 followers or are private, but they know how to do it for a business. And everyone who works for me is probably, you know, in that second camp, largely. So yes, I definitely am sure I'm judged. I can see a lot of friends don't even like like my business posts or things like that. They'll like the more personal ones photos of me, people will unfollow, I'm sure. But it doesn't matter. This is, this is my job. Yeah, and it's your it's your own creative outlet and your own like you said it's somewhat right. Ca- it's cathartic. cathartic. It makes me feel good, and it you know puts food on the table. So <laughs> yeah, and you know I think that there's some wisdom in or, or value recognizing that there's a difference between that a thousand engaged followers 
Which, by the way, is I think still a lot. Like, I think I have. I oh yeah, know, if you had a thousand people outside your five hundred friends be- on Facebook, <laughs> and I haven't worried about right. trying to add anybody. I, like, no, it's for my like people. I and actually if you had five hundred clients or a thousand clients, yeah. you'd be completely overwhelmed. You're good. You're good. So <laughs> I love that that has gone viral. That that you know that a lot of people have been acknowledging that it's like okay, we're so concerned about the. The number, how many zeros follow that number, but in actuality, if someone walked inside right. your door or you were having a party with that many people, like, right. God right. help you. Well, <laughs> well, and I like that too, what you, you said, like the power of social media is staying connected with the people that are from your past, the people. And I think that that was what made it so popular so quickly. Like when I was first getting onto Facebook, here's all these people that I went to high school with mm-hmm. or junior high with that I had like very casual versions of friendship with, but it was really neat to see, well, yeah, it's their birthday. Oh my gosh, they have two kids now, you know, all those things. Right. And, and so it started in this place and today it's just such a weird platform because even social media platforms themselves are trying to figure out how they play a role in our society's discourses and political things. And, you know, like I, I don't mm-hmm. even log into Facebook. I scroll like maybe 10 things and then I'm out, you right. know, and I'm not even see- doing the thing right. that I want to do, which is what I think is, is to stay connected in this kind of lighter way. Yes. I honestly have found it a little creepy when <laughs> I see someone that I haven't seen in 10 years and they're talking about things that I've posted on social and I hadn't seen something on there. So I had no way to engage in a conversation. So is it, it's a little bit of that double edged sword mm-hmm. again, though, too, that it's great that you get insight into these life things. And I guess that's a way that we can broadcast those major life moments. But then it was, it also is insecure for me where you're like, Oh, whoa, you know that. Right. Oh, right. I put that out there. But it, I've had many moments where I've been like, how do you know that? Oh, I kind of had okay. this internal check before I post anything. And I've posted some very personal things. I mentioned that I had postpartum depression, like definitely personal things. But I have this internal check in, in my head that says, before you post this, is it okay that a client sees it? Is it okay that a friend sees it? Is it okay that someone you don't even really know sees it? Um, and so, no, not everything gets shared. Or maybe I'm only sharing it on Instagram to, you know, my close friends. They have that little tab that you can share a story just to close friends. So yeah. I think I think you kind of need that checks and balance in your head to say, is it okay? Or will I feel strange if I get a random text or someone reaches out? Or will I feel good uh, because I have made an impact in their day and connected with them in some way? Yeah, and I like how, how Instagram, it was a, a while ago, but made it easier to mm-hmm. unfollow. Because I think at first it was really they were not encouraging you to unfollow because it was such a hard process. And I feel like Mm -hmm. Facebook still, I mean, Mm there it's better now, but I remember if you wanted to go through and Mm kind of cleanse or like make it more intimate or aligned with where you were at in your life, it it was so much work that you wouldn't even entertain it. And I think that it's cool that, that that's, and like you said, removing the likes that to me says that they're acknowledging at least they, I mean, whoever they are, right? Uh, acknowledging at least that that they want you to find the community that is serving you in the best way. Right. And they even now, if you want, if someone follows you and you don't feel comfortable with them following you, you can block them. But also if they create any new accounts, it would automatically block them as well. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of good That's to know. interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's all changing so fast. That, I mean, I think that's one of the I things know. with social media is like, <laughs> That that rule today might be different a month from now. Yeah. Yes, I teach um, social media for the publishing industry at Columbia 
university. And I joked that all of my colleagues can keep the same um, curriculum year after year and mine changes like every month. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, what is your advice for those struggling to strike that balance? I mean, I think there's so many balances that now have to be managed and probably the balances maybe even look different from platform to platform. Yeah. I would create some house rules for yourself. So Instagram and your phone can, you know, alert you when you've spent a certain amount of time on the app or on your phone and tell you to get off. So kind of like an alarm system. Um, I would also, in terms of just making sure that you feel safe and comfortable, what is your position on sharing photos of your kids? Where do you share them? What does it look like? Like those are kind of house rules or, and your family that you maintain. Does the phone stay in the bedroom at night? Um, At what point in the morning do you use your phone? Can you go for a walk or do yoga or something every day where either your phone doesn't come with you or social media is not part of that process? When you're with your family, can you put your phone down um, and just be there? So creating rules for yourself so that in just normal day-to-day moments, you know the rule and you have to follow it and you create your own boundaries. Okay, I'm not going on social media from Friday till, you know, Friday night till Monday morning or creating boundaries and rules for yourself and trying to stick to them on a day-to-day basis. Just so when that kind of normal life moment comes up, um, you already know your rule. The phone's not in the room at night. I'm not showing photos of my kids' faces or, you know, whatever it is, create boundaries and house rules for yourself. You know, I actually haven't watched The Social Dilemma. I, <laughs> um, I had like... <laughs> I know, but I feel like I feel like a deviant no. saying that out loud because everyone's like, oh. I had like a breakdown <laughs> afterwards. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But uh-huh. I tell myself I'm on the happy, like home edit side of social media and not on like the darker side. But for every good thing, there's a bad thing. Even when I run ads for accounts, yes. I always say, I said to my husband once, you know, we run these ads for accounts and you can get so narrow and so niche on the audience. And okay, we're talking about beautiful hotels or, you know, a makeup brand or or something like that. But if I can get really narrow on this hotel group, someone else could turn around and, and target an audience for something bad. And, and we see that now. So for every good thing, there's, mm-hmm. you know, something bad. And so it scares me on social media when I see people kind of jumping onto a train um, and following, you know, the algorithm is only serving you specific content. It's only serving me specific content. So that's the news I'm reading and that's the news you're reading. Um, and people jump on certain bandwagons, but the algorithm is also only serving you that content. Um, so it's almost hard to break out of right. it. And it, it's, it's dangerous. Right. So it's feeding into the confirmation mm-hmm. bias, right? And and my assumption is that, and maybe this is or, or is not the case, but you could, I'm wondering if you could speak to it. Is there in the social dilemma or just from what you know, having been immersed in this, is there an addictive tendency is, you know, to the use of social media? I mean, I'm sure it's obviously highly, yeah. highly addictive. But when you were talking about creating the boundaries, I was like, oh, it sounds so much like, you know, junk <laughs> food and when you can eat it and when you're not addressing an addict. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I agree with a lot of the people that were in that um, film where they said my children aren't allowed to be on it. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs didn't let his kids have an iPad or a lot of these founders said that their kids aren't allowed to use certain 
technology or social platforms that they helped to create. I have always said, I mean, there's only so much I can do because kids will go out and do what they want to do, but I don't want them on social media. And um, not because I think that they'll do anything bad, but I, or I don't know, but you just don't want things being served to them that it's an ecosystem that's just, it's, it's uncontrollable. Um, and so it, yeah, it's, it's a little scary. I'm reading this book right now called mm-hmm. iGen and it's talking about just, it's amazing by oh, the way. Um, just talking about anyone that has been born in the nineties where internet mm-hmm. already existed and just that there's more use of our platforms of our technology and social and that that is in, um, the byproducts that it's replacing a false sense of connection. So then they're choosing less time in tangible physical community. And so the social skills are different. There's a little bit of, of immaturity, but there's also amazing Mm -hmm. other benefits Mm -hmm. though too, which is fascinating, but it just makes me think of that, um, that feeling or the addictiveness that you think that you're really getting that, that, one-on-one or, or community engagement, but it really is, it's not, it's just not the same as being human to human. So just acknowledging that though, too, and that there are certain things about the nuances of being human to human that can, um, that can really help our emotional intelligence develop. Yes. I mean, we even see it with community management and I think everyone who does social media for a living kind of has to, or if they're an influencer or whatever it is, has to basically adopt a thicker skin because people can be very unkind when they're behind their screen. Yes. And I'm sure that that is also reflected, you know, with bullying um, with kids. And we saw that in the social dilemma and I'm sure everyone's heard about it, but you know, it's definitely something that basically behaviors are amplified because they're behind a screen. Um, So it's just easier to react in different ways that maybe you wouldn't in real life face-to-face. And that's probably why the Instagram stories, Instagram reels, TikTok, all of that is more encouraged or or being so much more effective is because it's far better than just posting Mm -hmm. a picture than a feed and having a, just the verbal loss in translation. I I mean, is that, you know, people want to see the person behind it. They want to know who they're engaging with. And I think that that's probably a lot of what you're encouraging across the board anyways, these days yes. too. And, you know, we hear from founders over and over, they say, well, I don't want to have to dance. Like, I don't want to dance on TikTok or I don't want to dance on Reels. And uh, David's yeah. like, can relate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a little much, right, David? I'm trying. But you don't have to. I mean, people Well, no, I think work- like, yeah, I lead in the... Yeah. Mary's like, you need to do it live. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he doesn't even want to point, which let's right. we can be done with the pointing I'm now, like right? Can we be done with those? Like, I go, always go off screen. It's always <laughs> off. Yeah. That's why I hire like a 20 year old. I'm like, could you? Yeah. <laughs> so, can you point for us? Point for me? Who knew it would be so hard to I know. point and I know. time it and all these things. I know. But the truth is you don't have to anymore. So people are talking um, they're kind of just showing, you know, where they are or things like that. And it really is just that raw organic moment. You don't have to be a dancer. Um, people are going viral just by, you know, on TikTok, we see, we're seeing a lot of moms and we're seeing a lot of adults in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And they're not necessarily creating content, but they're consuming it. So they're watching it. There are a lot of subgroups like moms of TikTok and 
they're engaging with content that isn't dancing. You know, it's content that is informative. Maybe someone's holding a product and they're talking about it, how to use it, it's instructional. So, and, and there's huge discovery opportunity there. And that, that reminds me of kind of even one of the last questions. Like, we love how you said you don't have to like it. It's how you use it. And, and right. I think that that <laughs> speaks so much to what you just said. Um, but any other kind of comments, like going deeper in that statement, you don't have to like it. It's how you use it. Yeah. I mean, I think even probably the big joke for people even who work in the social media industry is that they struggle with it or that they're not really even using it for themselves because maybe they don't like it anymore. They've seen too much. Um, they're in it too much. And I hear on pitch calls all the time, I hate social media. That's what, that's what the client potential client will say. They'll tell me they hate social media. And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I mean, I get it. So, um, but that's not the point. I mean, marketing today is social media and social media today is marketing. It used to be this different line item in the budget where social media had this tiny little budget and marketing had a big one. But today they're one in the same. There, the, there are commercials on television that are TikTok dances. Um, so it's it's made the crossover. So you you have to use it. It is marketing. It is the wheels of your business. It's the new foot traffic. Um, it's just how you use it. And once you think about it in the way that you probably always thought about marketing in a psychological way or how you're getting people to come to your business, it becomes a little less scary, a little less annoying. You're using it as the wheels for your business. So plan your content, schedule it out, and then get out of there. You don't need to be scrolling all day. Um, schedule your content, have times to check in, maybe a little 10 minutes at lunch, you know, 10 minutes before five or six o'clock at night. And then the next day your content is scheduled, it goes out and that's it. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't be spending hours on it a day especially if you're running a business or you want to actually be engaging in, you know, your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also just love how it, it's in my experience, having worked in consumer packaged goods to date is it's a customer service tool as well. Like just as much of a marketing tool, it's such a way to be able to field questions or inquiries or, or better yet, some of the best testimonials that you may not have uh, you know, they probably used to have to write in a, mm -hmm. a physical letter and then maybe other than that, go to find an info ad or a form online. Like there's just been, uh, it's really cool on the flip side to be able to have that connection and to have it be so easy to hear from those that, that you're absolutely with. a customer service tool. We've actually trained traditional customer service teams on how to use it. Um, because that's where people go first. They go to your social media accounts to inquire whether it's positive or negative. Um, and I would say mm -hmm. it's also a crisis management tool. I mean, we saw in 2020, the crisis management was through the roof. In March and April, we had a cruise client and people were out in the ocean and the only way to reach someone was through Twitter. Yeah. So it, it's definitely the face of the business and it's how people- At the, at the COVID yes. lockdown? Yes, last year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the face mm -hmm. of the business and it's how- people are going to communicate with you first, for sure. Well, this is so great. I, I, I think it just really does come down to that last statement that David brought up that you've said, it's like, you don't have to like it, it's how you use it. And that boundaries are really, really super helpful. And there's amazing tools on the phone to help you have do not disturb or to tell you <laughs> that you can only use this much time. I can't tell you how many times I've ignored it and bypassed it. But yeah, I mean, I don't even uh, know where to find it, but I know it's there. 
<laughs> and and just like how cool that you've been in it since since the MySpace yeah. days. What a trip! <laughs> I like talk about being an entrepreneur because being in an industry that is evolving every second, like you mm-hmm. are the epitome of, pivot, of yeah. the ability to pivot. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, and, and the desire crazy. to learn. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I just like I want people to know where they can connect with you because. You know, everyone doesn't know this, but David and I, we work, we actually teach people how to open up coffee shops and we do that every quarter of the year. And we were able to bring Gabby in and she taught all of our um, coffee shop owners that were starting coffee shops, how to approach it from even that business standpoint. And I just think that you're such a, you're such a teacher clearly. And so where can people connect with you to, to learn more and to have a really safe, non-judgmental space to navigate what's best for them, what are their best practices, and how to, you know, what are their boundaries too? Yeah, of course. So on my Instagram, I'm Gabby Blitz Rosen. Townhouse Digital is also on Instagram, and then townhousedigital.com/backslash/contact, and that goes straight to me. So I'll email you back. Thank you. Thanks so much, Gabby. This is this is great. Thank you both so much for having me. It's been such a treat. Thank you. All right. Be well. Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify. Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host Happy Hours on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Third Place Podcast.